Princess Rise for their Majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Hi guys, welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Lisa Ryan. I'm Caitlin Menza. And it's time for a weekly update on our best friends, the royals. That's them. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. We love the Facebook group, so please join us. Yeah. And please subscribe to the podcast and leave us the royal rating of a five-star review. We love your reviews and our self-esteem depends on them. It's not wrong. <laughs> and also, you can send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. Just with whatever. Yeah. Questions, comments, things you'd like us to discuss next episode. Um, compliments. Com- I mean, you know, whatever floats your boat, your horoscope, my horoscope, whatever yeah. you want to do. It all sounds really great. I'm really into all of them. Yeah. And this week's Royal Refreshment is... And now it's time for the weekly Royal Cocktail. We're having red wine in honor of Meghan Markle. Yes, for our friend Meghan. Yeah, I couldn't find a Tignan Yellow, which is her favorite, but I found a Barbara D'Alba at the wine store near my office. And that's great. That's pretty close. It's an Italian red. That's the point, okay? She loves Italian reds. So yeah, we're going to be... We're going to be sipping on red wine as we discuss a lot of things. This is a Mm -hmm. very jam-packed episode. Um, So first, we have some Megan updates. Like, her dog is an author, I guess. It's... uh, I have a lot of questions. (laughs) And, of course, we got details on the Australia trip. Australia, et cetera. Lots of places. And then um, we got to talk about fashion. Yeah, we have some... It's fashion week, or it's... Well, it's over now, but it's fashion week. And then we are joined by a very special guest for a huge segment on The Crown because yeah. it's nominated for a bunch of Emmys. Yeah. I love everything about this episode. I know. I'm, I'm excited not... to talk about all these things. I know. It's like all of my interests. And while drinking wine, which is my hobby. Yeah. Dogs, clothes, traveling to Australia. I would love it all. I'm psyched. It's amazing. So oh. we have uh, an email first. One yes. of our... Someone who sent it, Veronica, a faithful listener, sent an email to info at gallerypodcast.com, which you can do too. And she said, hi, Ellen Kay. So I just watched King Charles III by PBS and Masterpiece. And that was a crazy movie. I totally did not see any of that coming. Also, I feel like the actor they picked for Harry didn't measure up to the rest of the cast, dot, 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 looks wise. Thoughts? <laughs> which, first of all, Veronica, I deeply appreciate your gentle shade. That's how you know she's really a loyal or sorry, faithful listener. Yeah, faithful is what she said, is how she described herself. That wasn't just me. Um, but yeah, that's I, I appreciate the delicacy in which she brought that up. It really mirrors the uh, the tone we try to strike here at Royally Obsessed. We wouldn't straight up call the dude who plays Prince Harry unattractive or ugly. We'll just say, didn't match up. Yeah, and so, you know, truth be told, neither of us have seen this. <laughs> We'd like to. So I hadn't even heard of this uh, this movie, but it is an adaptation of the play. And this play came out in 2014, and it was actually quite successful. It's a sort of reimagining of what would happen if, if Queen Elizabeth had died a couple of years ago and Prince Charles was already king. Yes. Um, so he would be King Charles III. Um, so it's it's like a fair, like fairly realistic from what I can grasp version of what would have played out or how like a recent controversy would have gone differently if he were in the king role. Um, but yeah, it, when it, it sounds like a little wackadoo and I hadn't heard about it, but it was nominated for a bunch of Tonys when it came to New York. So yeah, so it's legit. So we definitely need to watch it. And yeah. I was just Google Im- image searching the Harry actor and I agree. He just 
He's not as cute. He's not. But we're saying this in a really nice way because we are very <laughs> kind people who are not judgmental. The thing is, Prince Harry's really hot, so... It's tough. I've never seen someone as hot as Harry play Harry in any of the movies. Yeah, it's kind of tough to match that and get the rascally spirit while you're at it. Um, and there's also only so many redheaded actors at the end of the day. It's true. So what can you do? Um, but yeah, I really want to find that. It's, it was uh, by PBS, so I'm going to try to do it somehow. I'm always like, oh, how can I scam this movie on someone else's cable login or Netflix or Amazon or whatever I need to do? I'll work on it. You'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Oh, wait, no, I have a password I could give you. <gasps> oh, that's the answer I was looking for. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> Sorry, it's not my password. It is a password that I have been using for a long time, and I'm worried that I'll get caught, but I'll give it to you. I mean, this is the world we all live in. If you get caught on one, you find another one. We yeah. work together on this. Completely. Um, but I thank you for that. So thank you uh, to faithful Roro Veronica for writing in, and you guys can all do the same info at gallerypodcast.com with other observations and other weird movies and plays we should be seeing. Veronica, we raise our red wine glasses to you. Yes, we do. <laughs> and so f- now for This Week in Royal History. And now, This Week in Royal History. So this week, September 9th, 2015, Queen Elizabeth II of the United Kingdom became the longest reigning British monarch, breaking the record of her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria. There's not a ton to say here, but here's some trivia. So lock some trivia away. Okay, Mm -hmm. are you ready, Lisa? Ready. So Queen Victoria, excuse me, yeah, Queen Elizabeth II has reigned since February 6th, 1952. So she's been at it for 66 years. Queen. She's older than my mom and dad. I was going to say, she she started reigning. <laughs> she was coronated almost a year to the day that my before my dad was born. Um, so that's just wacky to me. Um, the second most longest reigning was Queen Victoria. As we said, she reigned from June 20th, 1837 to 1901, which was 63 years. Um, and then the third longest reigning was King George III, otherwise known as the guy that we left behind in the Revolutionary War. Caitlin, our dads were born the same month in the same year. No way. Seriously. Really? This makes so much sense. It makes a lot of sense. We both have, what, Aquarian dads? Yes. Cra- crazy. Actually, Aquarian no, my dad dads. is Pisces. Sorry, because he's end of the month. Okay. Yeah. No, well, close enough. February 1953, born dads. I'm an Aquarian, though. Oh, nice. That makes, I'm, a, and I'm a Pisces. There's wow. the split. Whoa. It explains a lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, that's your trivia. Queen Elizabeth has been reigning forever, which is why the play about her son becoming a king has not come true yet. Um, but we're glad because God saved the queen. Yes. And so, now let's go on to the most important topic of the day. Just kidding. But Meghan Markle's oh, it dog. Is. It's it's my fa- it's maybe my favorite news story we've ever covered. Okay. It's important, but I'm like, I don't know. Well, yeah, it doesn't affect world events, but that's it's what, bananas. Not, that's not what we're here for. <laughs> um, I have a I, I don't understand it, so I want to talk it out a little bit together. So Meghan Markle's dog, Guy the Beagle, is writing a book about his life as a royal pup. That's a fantastic headline. Hello, giggles, and I applaud you for it. Um, but here's what I don't understand. So the dog has re- written a children's book. Of course, he didn't write it because that's silly. I don't know. There was a TV show called Dog with a Blog, so I think anything <laughs> is possible. So it was written, it says, the cover of the book says, written by Guy the Beagle with Mike Brum and Camille March. Now, 
Okay, tiny bit of background on the dog itself. It's a real dog. Guy the Beagle is a, a creature that Meghan Markle rescued in 2015 um, from Kentucky, I believe. And now he has crossed the pond with her and lives in Kensington Palace. Because Bogart, who is named after our producer, Matt Bogart, <laughs> had to stay in Canada because he couldn't make the journey to the UK. That's not what her other dog. After. <laughs> um, but Guy the Beagle, yes, is having quite an adventure of his own, but... He, yeah, so he moved. Sorry, I, I, I can't. I, it's hard to explain because it's so absurd. He was from Kentucky. She rescued him in 2015. He lived with her in Toronto and now he lives in Kensington Palace. So, yes, this dog has had a wacky life. He's now been probably snuggled by the Queen of England. Yes. But how did he write a book? What so a, here's what, what I'm thinking, Caitlin. I don't want to blow your mind. But I feel like maybe humans wrote this book. No, I know that. <laughs> what I truly want to know from like a publishing perspective. So it's a, it's a children's book about his story, which is really sweet. It talks about how he was, you know, how she came upon him in Kentucky and everything. What I want to know is how did these two people, these two authors, get their rights to Guy the Beagle's life story? I'm wondering if it's like Guy the Beagle is now a public figure so they can do what they want with him, which is like how... um. So many people write books about like Princess Diana and other yeah, things. Yeah, that's true. Because I don't like a think... public figure. Yeah, so I think this this dog is now a public figure, and so the dog can be written about. But it is confusing. Like, if you wanted to write about a private citizen dog, how do you get the rights to the dog story? And in turn, can you can a human really own a dog and give away the rights? Yeah, I mean, I guess they could have trademarked Guy the Beagle. I just have a lot of questions, and I it all stems from why didn't I think of this? I want to write a children's book from the perspective of Guy the Beagle, Meghan Markle's dog. Well, let's write one from the perspective of Oz. And we call dibs on this idea, so oh, no one else crap. can do it. Don't listen, Mike Brumman, Camille March. Congratulations on your book, but we still we have a new idea. Yes. Everyone buy that one instead. But what a concept. And the, the cover is really beautiful. It is a beagle, <laughs> a cartoon beagle wearing a big uh, crown. And he has a Union Jack behind him and an American flag behind him. And it's just, it's really something. But it's a genius idea. I need to pour more wine. Yeah, well, you know, it's exhausting to think about the beagle. I had to chug wine while thinking about a dog having a book deal before me. (laughs) Thank you. That's exactly what I was getting at. It's horrifying. (laughs) Um, Less horrifying is we have... Kensington Palace released the details of the Australia tour, the only thing getting me through the autumn. Um, it is 16 days. We are so excited. And it starts pretty much like right after Eugenie's wedding. Yeah. So Eugenie gets married on October 12th in Windsor. And then, and they'll probably be there for that, of course, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. The whole gang will be there. And then they leave on the following Tuesday. So that's Saturday, of course. They leave on Tuesday. Um, the 16th and their first stop. So, okay, so I'm going to do a quick run through of this itinerary. They haven't released the precise events, um, like mm-hmm. which organizations they'll be meeting with throughout. Um, but the whole thing is planned around the Invictus Games, which run from October 20th through 27th. Um, the Invictus Games being Prince Harry's sort of Paralympic style event created for wounded and injured armed service members. It's sort of his pet project. Um, So presumably while they're there, they'll be meeting with other uh, veterans groups and youth leadership groups and especially um, environmental and conservation projects because that's sort of Queen Elizabeth's pet project for Mm -hmm. them um, is to check in on how her Commonwealth Canopy Project is doing. 
Um, but mostly we'll see them being sporty because they'll be there for the Invictus Games. Yes. Yeah. Although, okay, so the Invictus Games are huge to them because last year that's when they made their formal yes. debut. Yes. I mean, we'd, we'd already known they were dating for about a year, so it wasn't like it was news yeah. to us. But that's how everyone knew that they were definitely about to get engaged yeah. or something was going to be announced. And so we saw Megan at all these events but wearing a lot of Canadian designers and also her friends like the Misha Nunu um, husband shirt and then yes. some jeans and like an Everlane bag that went sold out immediately. Yeah, and that's sort of like that iconic first look at Megan, like he- holding his hand at his event in her white button down in jeans and it was just like major. So they're going to be there for the Invictus Games, but 16 days across Australia, Fiji, Tonga and New Zealand. So here's the rundown. Uh, Tuesday, October 16th, Sydney, then Dubbo, which is also in New South Wales, so near Sydney. Then the 18th, they're in Melbourne, then back to Sydney from the 19th to the 22nd. Then they're in Fiji for three days, then Tonga for two, then back to Sydney. Then they pop over to two days in Wellington, New Zealand, one day in Auckland, and one day in Rotorua, which is a really fun place to end. I was in New Zealand last year, and I didn't make it to Rotorua but it is known for its geysers and like hot springs and stuff. So I think we're going to see yet more outdoorsy adventure photos. So one thing I wanted to say mm-hmm. about you oh, is you pronounced Melbourne. I tried. Pro- you, you did it properly. Well, I knew we were going to discuss this. So I, I was preparing. Well, Melbourne. because I have a cousin who lives there and she always says it in the proper way because that is what you, that's how you speak. If you're there, you say it like an Australian and, but I say Melbourne. <laughs> Because I'm well, that's how it's spelled. I'm very ignorant. No, it's not ignorant. It's just it's also kind of hard, I think, to do with an Australian without an Australian accent. You know, you're like Melbourne. Yeah. You just like it just flows out. Um, but yeah, so I whew. oh, they're also going to Fraser Island. There's so many like little things. They're traveling to Fraser Island, which is the world's largest sand island. I don't even know what that means. Aren't all islands sand islands? Are they made of volcanic rock otherwise? Lots of questions. And that's off the coast of the of Queensland. Um, it's just wacky. There's so much. There's so much to do. I'm really excited. Yeah. And um, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else to mention about that. I basically read from the press release from Kensington Palace, so that's about it. But I'm, ugh, I'm excited. So many outfits. Yes, yeah, so many outfits. When they do one of these tours, as we know from Will and Kate's tours of yeah. past, they do so many events, different outfit for like every single freaking event. Every event. And always like so much thought goes into it. They usually wear designers of the place they're in and that kind of thing. Like these sort of tours, the planning is months in advance. Mm-hmm. You know, both the logistics, of course, of their travel, because it's not easy for those two to travel um, and which groups they'll meet with. But every outfit has to make a statement so who knows also one thing to note I don't know where I read this because I read many blogs in my life every single day but somebody said that um, some of the countries that she's traveling to Megan's traveling to um, still have a Zika risk so if people are like thinking that she might be pregnant for it it doesn't seem like this is something she would go necessarily but maybe the risk isn't that bad or something who knows Interesting. I really Maybe rich people have like a really specific like bug repellent that protects them from that diseases. That seems right. Or They're, Harry would just squish every mosquito with his perfect royal fingers before it got anywhere near her. Yes. So hot. So let's go mosquito on. killing. T- <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's go on to what we have to say about fashion. Yeah. Speaking of fashion. So this was 
New York Fashion Week, um, as you guys might know from Instagram, because anybody you know, any editor you follow, as we work with a lot of them, it's just nonstop on the Insta stories. And a lot of the shows are right by my office. And so today I was getting out of my office and I was like, why is everyone dressed so fancy around me? And I was like, oh, yes, the fashionable people are here. Yeah. And then you were photographed by street style photographers. They're like, why is she wearing the J. Crew outlet outfit? <laughs> um, but yes. So. Uh, we, of course, didn't really notice this last week when she first stepped out in it. But Meghan Markle wore a Jason Wu dress last week um, that at first I saw it in the faraway, like sort of filming. And I thought it was black. And I was like, oh, more black. But no, it was this like sort of splendid peacock blue color. And it was so beautiful. Um, very loose in the stomach region. It also had these frills on it or ruffles. Yeah. That would easily mask something so yes. this is this is basically just going to happen until they announce a yes. pregnancy even if it's a year from now everything yes. she wears will be like there's a baby in there just an observation it was loose in the bodice but we also know that she struggles with fitting so who knows so we learned that the designer was jason Wu, an american um who of course uh michelle obama wore to the first inauguration that was her dress and uh megan also wore jason Wu to the heads together press conference that or it was an event that she did with Kate when Kate was still pregnant and Harry and William. Okay. So she's worn Jason Wu before. She's a fan. Yes, I remember that one. Um, yeah, it was like blue and she was seated so you couldn't Yeah. So couldn't really. It actually had the sort of details of that um, Noni dress that we'll be discussing in a minute as well. Mm -hmm. um, but so yeah, we were like, oh, pretty. It's like peacock blue and she's wearing a color and I'm so happy. Um, and then, you know, a lot also, of- Also, sorry. Oh, please. You said something on- um, G-chat to me and then I used it in my story and I didn't attribute <laughs> it to you and I'm sorry. Wow. You basically said essentially that it was their blue period and I was like, they've entered their blue period. So I stole that. <laughs> well, I hope they did. I hope they did because I, I didn't love all the black. I like some color. I like when my Duchess wears a color. Um, but yeah, it was a really beautiful blue and we're like, oh, it's Jason Wood. That's interesting. And then it came out that the, you know, a lot of fashion reporters, including our beloved Elizabeth Holmes, reported on this that the dress has not been released yet. So then there was like, oh, did Jason Wu give her a dress off the runway, like from his spring, uh, spring summer 2019 runway show? So that was mm -hmm. like speculation for the day until he actually had his show, and then he didn't show the dress. He showed lots of dresses that she would totally wear, though. Yes, very her style. And so simultaneously, while all this was going down, Jessica Mulrooney, who we've covered before is, and established as Megan's best friend and her stylist was in town for New York Fashion Week. Yes. And so I was wondering if she was going to show up to Jason Wu because I thought that would be fitting. Like if she's, you know, giving Megan early access to Jace, Jason Wu stuff potentially because this is before I saw his line, I thought maybe she would show up. But we didn't, we can't tell where she went. We were following her on Instagram and I was asking all of my fashion editor friends everywhere they went, I'm like, do you see Jessica Mulroney? Do you see Jessica Mulroney? And they're probably like, go away, go away. <laughs> go away, Royals girl. Yeah. But no, no one really saw her and I've been Googling. Like, I, I can't figure out where she went. And so my theory now is that she probably did private appointments because anywhere she went would cause a sensation and reflect on Megan, even though Megan is not the only person she dresses. As we learned on Instagram, Jessica also dresses Shania Twain. Yeah. So I finally, finally have capitulated and have started following Jessica Mulroney on Instagram. And boy, was I rewarded right away <laughs> with her behind the scenes Insta story dressing Shania Twain in like just head to toe sequins, which is exactly what I would do if I were given that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I support that. Um, but yeah, I'm still sort of intrigued. 
Yeah. I, I A fan actually reached out and asked us to discuss the Jason Wu thing. And I don't really have a ton of like analysis on this topic because it is a sort of a complicated one. I do think it's a step in a direction. It's her saying like she clearly has connections and she's ready to flex her fashion muscles. Mm-hmm. I do think it's not that it's a big deal, but it is a step and it is a choice that she is not. She's certainly not buying J. Crew and doing the things off the rack. And she's not necessarily going the like Dior route as she was a couple months ago. But she's getting dresses made for her by the top designers in the world that are literally impossible to buy anywhere else. Jason Wu is making a dress just for her. Yeah. And I mean, Kate does the same thing. She gets like bespoke Jenny Packham outfits and yeah. uh Alexander McQueen, Amelia Wickstead. She's getting all of these things. So it's not unique. But what is unique is that I feel like Kate picks kind of, um, you know, more traditional British designers, even though like Jenny Packham is a new name. But, you know, her designs are kind of more traditional. And it seems like this is a step forward to show that Megan is in the fashion world to be wearing Jason Wu. Yeah. So given that the Emmys are coming up on Monday night, we are joined by Vulture staff writer Catherine Van Arendonk, who also has a podcast called Appointment Television, who is going to tell us everything we need to know about The Crown. Yeah. Welcome, Catherine. Thank Thank you for being here. Thanks so, so much for having me. Yes. So the uh, we would thought we would happily talk about The Crown every single episode if we could. And I'm sure we'll cover it a lot when it finally returns. But they're in the news now because they're up for six Emmys. Um, so we want to talk about what's actually going to win or what might actually win in your opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we could start with Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series. So that's nominated episode, like for a specific episode, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that is uh, the Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series is epi- the episode that's nominated is called Pater Familius, which mm-hmm. you may remember it's the like flashback to his childhood and you get to Philip's childhood and you get all of the like daddy issue stuff. It's directed by Stephen Daldry um, and it has uh, this really great um, use of this school that they're sending um, they're sending what's his name to? Um, Charles. Charles. Thank you. Charles. Um, right. Both of them really. Yes. They're sending Charles to and so then we rem- we get to also remember sort of the trauma of Philip's childhood and the way we can see the way that that's going to play out in Charles's future um, and this like foggy misty school situation and you know abuse and all that kind of stuff. So that that's the episode that it's being nominated for directing and it is I have to say a pretty great it's a pretty great episode to choose for that. Yeah. Okay, so it's a bit of a controversial episode to me. When I actually, I didn't know what it was nominated for, and I was looking at the list, and I was like, ugh, that one. Yeah. I think one of my complaints, I think it is a very powerful hour of TV. Um, It explains so much about both Philip and Charles, and Charles, it sets up for subsequent seasons of being like a bullied, sad kind of whiner. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I guess I... A complaint I have with The Crown overall, though I love the show, is that they focus way too much on Prince Philip. Oh, yeah. And his backstory. Yes. Yes. Like, no, this is this is a complaint that I have consistently. But it's one that I and I, I I'm desperate every season. I'm like, oh, I hope they're going to I hope they're going to escape this. But I understand. 
the more global problem with this show and Philip and why they focus on him so much, which is that they have a real enigma of a major character, right? Like every every element of Elizabeth's public persona is about pushing away any kind of understanding of her as a person, right? So you're you're stuck with this this person who you're trying to constantly understand the inside of and like every effort of her life is to prevent you from doing that. And instead what you have is Philip who's a mess, right? Who's like a very public mess in a way that's very easy to understand. And it's just, I can see that it would be a lot easier for them to just find drama hooks for his character. Does that make me super frustrated with the fact that he's whining about the fact that he has a, has to give a speech and Elizabeth meanwhile is like propping up all of the you know great british <laughs> union no yes it's <laughs> right. incredibly frustrating um but uh but I still think they do make really excellent hay of it in an episode like this and I don't mind if it's all constricted to an episode like this it's where it bleeds into the rest of the story that really bothers me yeah yeah i'm with you on that so it's up against a. it's so this is directing for a drama series it's up against two episodes of game of thrones two episodes of ozark uh, a stranger things and a handmaid's tale do you have any sense of who's taking it I mean, honestly, I would. This is one that I think it has a really good chance of. The issue is Handmaid's Tale for me. Um, okay. I don't think Stranger Things is distinct enough. I think uh, Game of Thrones also has a hard time breaking through with individual episodes um, as being like the thing that you remember. I mean, there are there were more this last season, but. Um, but I think Emmy, they, Emmy's voters really love a period drama and they love like a strong costume. You know, they love a very strong look. And I think this and and Handmaid's Tale feel like the best bets for me. I'm also a terrible Emmy's prognosticator. So, like, don't actually listen to anything. That I'm gonna say. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, no, I think I think it has a pretty a pretty decent shot. Ozark, obviously, if it wins, I will like throw things in my house because. Oh, I'm glad we're on the same page about that. We were just talking about how he's canceled. (laughs) Jason Bateman is canceled. So, yes. um, Moving on from him. Oh, hold on. We should also say that um, they already won one Emmy. Yes. During the Creative Arts Emmys, they won Outstanding Casting, which. Yes. I agree. It's outstanding. Way to go, guys. The casting (laughs) of The Crown is amazing. Yeah. 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 So, let's go on to lead actress because Uh we love Claire Foy. Yes. Yes. And so we want to know what you think her chances are because she's up against Tatiana Maslany, who I probably mispronounced her name before, but she's on Orphan Black and she was actually really amazing too. Mm-hmm. And then Elizabeth Moss from Handmaid's Tale, Sandra Oh as Eve on Killing Eve. Oh, crap. Now I want her to win. Um, <laughs> Carrie Russell from The Americans and Evan Rachel Wood from Westworld. So what do you think her chances are? You know, I have to say, of all of these, this is the one that I feel like the crown really should, because she's just so fantastic, and that I feel like she has a decent chance of also, um, because I think this is an award that uh, that they're pretty good at giving to. Again, they they like the the period dramas. I think Elizabeth Moss is going to be the hard one to go up against because her performance is a lot. Um, more visibly 
traumatized in a way like yeah, it just there's absolutely. like there are there are big showcasey scenes for her and f- what foy is so fantastic at particularly in le- the finale of season two um is this like simmering seething bubbling thing that just comes out in these incredibly repressed but but really powerful ways um in these few moments she's fantastic and so i this is an award that um i want I want Elizabeth Moss to win. I actually think Yvonne Hestrahovsky was snubbed because she's also great in Handmaid's Tale. Um, I, I also love Carrie Russell, but but this for the crown, Claire Foy feels like, yeah, that's the per- this is the the award that I am the most attached to for it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she acts with her eyelids. Yeah. yeah. You know, like a, a part of her cheek will quiver, and I'm, it's just it's mind blowing. Oh my to watch. gosh. My I problem think. is I haven't seen. Killing Eve, but after reading our colleague Alex's um, yes. coverage of yes. Sandra O, oh, I'm like, I just want her to win everything oh, ever. Yeah. yeah, no, she's amazing. But the other thing about Killing Eve is that, like, I, you know, that's going to come back for a second season. She has a lot more yes. shots at it. Of this course. is Foy's last crown season. You know, like, that feels like an important moment to recognize. Um, and The Handmaid's Tale is also going to come back, and I don't know if it should. So anyhow, that's a different <laughs> discussion. No, I, I do think sometimes the Emmys will award people that or shows that are ending. Yes. And of course, the, the crown isn't ending, but the actors are. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I do think that like heightens all of their chances a little bit yeah. because they're going away. Mm-hmm. We get no more Claire Foy. We've seen all the Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth that we're going to get. So let's give her an award. For yeah, that. agreed. And then, of course, Matt Smith, uh, who plays Prince Philip, is also up for best actor or supporting actor. Sorry. And rightfully so should be supporting mm-hmm. yeah. um, against, you know, people from Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale, Stranger Things, Homeland. Oh, Manny Patinkin. Oh, man. <laughs> I love Manny Patinkin. <laughs> so what do you think about him? So, again, it's hard for me to honestly judge how well Matt Smith is doing because I'm so irritated with Prince Philip every single time he's on my screen. Yeah. Um, you know... He's good in this role. <laughs> He's really good in this role. And he wears some great sweaters. <laughs> great sweaters. Great sweaters. In fact, I think one of my first notes that I took on like recaps for this season were like, sad Philip, sad sweater Philip. Um <laughs> But it's so hard, right? Because he's got Claire Foy that he's standing next to the whole time. And I will say, again, that last episode where you have that big final conversation between the two of them is just lovely. And he really uh, does manage to hold his own against her in that in that scene. I think it's it's a great moment for both of them. But um, yeah, for me, it's like, okay, but look what Claire Foy is doing. I mean, it's just hard to. Yeah. Yeah, I, under, I understand. Yeah. We'll move quickly on to my other favorite lady, which is Vanessa Kirby is nominated for Outstanding Supporting Actress. She's up against Alexis Bledel for Handmaid's Tale, Millie Bobby Brown and Stranger Things, and Dowd as Aunt Lydia on Handmaid's Tale, which is brutal. Yeah. And uh, Lena Headey as Cersei Lannister on Game of Thrones. That's a really tight, that's a tight one. That's a tough one. Yeah. How do you not give it to Anne Dowd is the question. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah, it's hard. I love Vanessa Kirby so much, and I, I think she's, she's so phenomenal. Great. But Anne Dowd's yeah. like a freaking legend. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is too bad though because you know that's that episode. Um, Barrel, right? Is that sort of big stand? Yeah. Is moment. that the one that it's her and um, Matthew Snowden. Good? Matthew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's great, and and she does a lot with. Um, 
this really like awful cynical balance, particularly toward the end where she can kind of feel her life um, sweeping up into this tragic, almost like constant F you to Elizabeth place. Um, and the, the like wanting to be happy and wanting to have this fairy tale role. And then just knowing in her gut that it's like never quite, never quite right and you can see all of that on Kirby's face as she's performing some of those scenes there's that like one where she gets really really drunk in her room and it's just like throwing stuff I mean it's just it's a fantastic yes. performance um, yeah but Anne Dowd like it's tough man <laughs> yeah no that's fair that's fair I, the, the barrel episode I was just saying to Lisa before we started recording is one of my favorite episodes of TV of all time oh my god it's of, so good Yeah, of my personal list it's like the OC finale where she shoots Trey it's Dawson's it's Dawson's Creek season three finale and thank you and it's the barrel episode (laughs) of the crown Uh I thought the music the costumes Vanessa Kirby I it's so excellent but I'm also a a huge Princess Margaret fan yeah Uh, we have one more we'll get through it quickly because we have so many other questions to ask you Um, it's outstanding writing for a drama series Mm. so it's uh, they're up against the Americans uh, Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one that I feel like uh, I could understand them giving it to. And I have to say, of Netflix drama series, this is one that I, I would I would certainly pick this over Stranger Things. Okay. Um, it's tough to go up against the end of the Americans, though, because right. that was just an Astonishing, astonishing piece of writing. Oh, my God. That episode. Okay, I know this is not an American (laughs) podcast, but I only got into the Americans like a few months ago and I just watched all of it. That was one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to talk about this offline. Okay. Well, I'll tell you about my secret shame, which is that I bought a lot of costumes in their prop auction afterwards. (gasps) Ooh. Ooh. I did hear about that. Um, Here's my shame. I messed up. Uh, We actually have one more category, Outstanding Drama Series, which Uh is the whole whole shebang. The whole shebang, So The Crown is up against the Americans Mm -hmm. in its final season. Yeah. Game of Thrones in its penultimate season, Handmaid's Tale, Stranger Things, This Is Us, and Westworld. I think we can all agree that if this is us or the or Westworld while I'm at it takes it, then I will punch things. I'll punch things. Yeah. This is us is what I watch to cry. Yeah. Like I'll send It is I'll good send, at that. Yeah. It's it's interesting. So yeah. what do you think will actually win this one? I think actually it's gonna be the handmaid's tale. But if it's not the handmaid's tale, it's probably gonna be the crown. And um I think it's because they're going to save the Game of Thrones award for its last shebang. I think the Americans is unbelievable. And if the Americans wins, I will I will weep for joy. But I don't think they've ever been good at understanding how to get lots of people to watch that show. Yeah. Um, and so it just doesn't have as much. It doesn't. There's not going to be enough voters who really understand what that is. But the crown is so accessible, at least you know, to a lot of more people understand it, particularly who are Emmy voters. Um, it, the problem is that it's going to be going up against Handmaid's Tale's like politically relevant thing. And I think the crown is incredibly politically relevant. It's a show about what it means to be a leader. It's a show about men and women. It's a show about, you know, whether you sacrifice your values for populism. I mean, all of these things, these issues that are that are crucial to 
where we are in this moment and like dictators versus democracies. But um, but it doesn't have Handmaid's Tale, you know, that like red cloaks walking around the Senate. So I think there is a there's just a different uh, sense of these shows as being related to the moment that I think is going to be hard for the crown to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, So moving past the Emmys for a second, we'd like to talk about how, of course, as we've said in previous episodes, and as you guys might know, all the actors that we've seen the last two seasons are leaving, uh, which I I kind of love, honestly, as a choice for the show. So um, what how has the show impacted these actors and what's next for them? Uh, for myself, I'd never heard of Claire Foy or Vanessa Kirby before this, obviously. Um, so now I think about them daily. Yeah. Now <laughs> I miss her. I'm saddened by the aspect, like the thought that she's leaving me. I um, when I saw Claire Foy at, um, was it the Venice Film Festival? I was just like, there's my girl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe we could start there, actually, because I know she's promoting some major movie. Yeah, First Man, um, which is the Neil Armstrong movie that she's that she's in right now. It um, seems like an Oscar bait movie. Yeah, it is, yes. And then she's also going to be Elizabeth Salander from the, the girl movie, the girl book, what are, who wrote those books? The Girl Who books? The... Um, the girl with the dragon thank tattoo. Thank you. Books. Thank you. Dragon yeah. tattoo. Yes. Um, and so that's, I think, in post production right now. Uh, yeah, I think she's certainly going to have a much more visible career now than than she would have. I think also part of what has blown up for her out of this uh, out of this whole experience was the discussion about the realization that she and Matt Smith were not being paid equally, right? Yeah. Um, and that you know, uh, I I I don't actually know whether that's been resolved because I know there was like there she's going to get back pay, and then it was like it never happened. So I'm not sure what the current status of that is, but I, that was such a vis- visible discussion that was happening about this moment in Hollywood. Um, and I think it's not a bad thing to be associated with as like the leading woman of this remarkable show who is going to be a face of equity for for actors. Um, yeah. yeah. It's so. pretty ridiculous that the person playing Queen Elizabeth on the show The Crown, which is about the crown, which is on her head, <laughs> did not get paid as much as a person nominated for a Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, it, just re- it, it reflects every cons- like issue I have with the show of Matt Smith being around too much. Yeah, and of course he makes more. Um, but we can't honestly. I, it's an incredibly important topic, but if I talk about it anymore, um, I'm going to pop a vein in my eyeball. So punch yeah. the microphone. I will punch the microphone. <laughs> I'm so cool. Mad. Um, cool. What we'd like to talk about next season, uh, too. So what do we know so far? And so help me, God, Catherine, can you please tell me when this show is premiering? I wish that I could. <laughs> I wish that I could. It's killing us. Because I, I Google it often. And there's already yeah. posts, like SEO posts created where they're like, when does it come out? And then you click, they're like, we don't know. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, it's incredibly frustrating. I know. And I remember that this second season was like a November kind of situation. Um, but they have been saying it was going to be 2019 for a while, which leads me to believe it's going to be like mid to late 29. I don't know. I don't know. Catherine, that's exactly what I didn't want to hear. I want to hear January 1. I don't think it's going to be January 1, (laughs) but I would be thrilled if it was. They've just been teasing it so much. So, like, what do we know about it so far? Okay. So, they have announced the cast of all the major cast of the next season. I have been quite excited about the casting announcements for the next season because I think they've done a fantastic job. 
Olivia yeah. Coleman, you guys. <laughs> Do you? I don't know if you know Olivia Coleman from other stuff, but she's so good. Like literally, they announced Olivia Coleman, and I like I started to cry a little bit um, because she just she brings this unbelievable humanity to stuff that she works on, but has just a fantastic. I mean, like we've been talking about how great Claire Foy is. Olivia Coleman is every bit. Every yeah. bit is good. And so I, I have just been, like, very excited about that. You guys can't <laughs> see this, but Catherine's doing, doing a, little a little dance, dance right now. <laughs> I mean, I know that the big name exciting news is, like, Helena Bonham Carter as Princess Margaret. This will be a fascinating thing to see. It feels a little jarring to me because I, I think there was a report that the season three is actually going to pick up fairly close to the timeline of when season two ended. And it feels like a leap to go from Vanessa Kirby to Helena Bonham Carter, like within the space of a year. I mean, that's it's sort of a big, interesting name just because I think she's been so Tim Burtonized for so many years that it's like people are interested to see like her playing a more standard, like actual human being type role. Um, yeah. Um, that makes sense. Uh, but for me, Olivia Coleman is like the thing that I'm super excited about. I cannot also uh, uh, talk about the cast of season three of The Crown without mentioning my very dearly beloved Tobias Menzies. Um, oh, so I don't yes. know anything about him. So <gasps> he tell was on me about Outlander. Him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Catherine's so, excited. <laughs> yeah. She just raised in her shocked. arms in bliss. So tell me why. Tell me about him. My friend, I have a friend named Sophie Brookover. She has an amazing newsletter called Two Bossy Dames. She and I have often considered starting a whole separate podcast just called Tobias <laughs> Menzies Yelling. And we just yell the word <laughs> Tobias Menzies over and over again. Um, he's a character actor. So he's not somebody who gets cast in like really big, like, you know, uh, premiere roles in things. But once you see his face and once you get the rhythm of him, like you just become very, very interested in all things Menzies. Um, so <laughs> that's the title, by the way. That's the title of your podcast. All things, all Menzies. things Menzies. Yeah. Oh, I yes, think that please. is a better title than the thing we were thinking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so he's he's most famously most for to American audiences been in Outlander, and he plays a double role in Outlander. He plays um, the sort of villain for much of the series, but he's also her husband in the current timeline, and so that is like a very interesting. He plays like a very very scary, terrible, bad dude. Um, um, uh, named Jack Randall, and he's great in it. He's also in The Terror, which I can't watch because it's too scary for me, but I will at some point because he's in it. Um, he's been in Game of Thrones. He was in uh, uh, a series called The Night Manager, which was very good, and also Olivia oh, Coleman right. was in Tom it. Tom Hiddleston It's when he saved... Yes. Spoiler alert. Yes. Redacted. Yes. Um, but he was, there was a mini series that you should all go watch. Uh, it's called The Honorable Woman, and it stars Maggie Gyllenhaal, and he's also in it. Oh my God, I saw that. And, uh, and she plays like a British sort of political figure, and there's like mystery thriller elements, and it's very, very good. Anyhow, um, he's also in that, and that was the first time when I, when I saw him, and I was like, who is that young man? Um, so I'm, <laughs> so I'm, very, I'm very excited to see what he does in this role because I think he's going to be just great and steely chill and exactly what you're looking for in a Philip yeah but he's gonna be different from Matt Smith because he's playing Prince Philip so Matt Smith is like Matt Smith I don't <laughs> I, I think you're I think you're underestimating Menzies 
I think he's. I mean, he's got the range. You would say that he's got the. <laughs> oh, range. I just mean he's like on a higher level. Oh, yeah, I hope so. Well, I think I think he and Coleman are going to be a really good, interesting match. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. And also, um, is it confirmed about the actress playing Margaret Thatcher, or is that just reports? That, as far as I know, is just reports. There have okay. been rumors, but I I do not want to give you any because they they released all of these press stills right of like major cast members in their new roles, and you can see Helena Bonham Carter holding a teacup and being Princess Margaret. But that that there has been no still or official announcement as far as I know about Thatcher. Yeah, so okay. it's rumored to be Gillian Anderson. Yes, of yes, X-Files. which would be great. Yeah. But that is. Yeah, I don't feel like the age quite makes sense, but yeah. I guess it's maybe this, that's the issue with us not knowing the timeline of the show. I'm like, how would she be Thatcher eight? Like, are we in the 70s? Like, yeah, I, do we know what years it's covering we, yet? We don't. And that's a big question about um, age, obviously, but also like what bits of story they're going to be skipping over and what they're going to be trying to hit. Like how much, how much Diana are we going to start to see in this season? Right. Um, how much like Camilla Parker Bowles? How much are we going to get into? Are they going to like spend a lot of time with the dissolution of Margaret's marriage? Or is that going to be sort of a sideline as it was in season two? All lots of questions. So, yeah. I mean, I I desperately want to watch Helena Bonham Carter throw things going through a divorce. Yeah. yeah like being finding out that her man is cheating on her. Like, I want to see cheating on him herself. I want to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I assume it's just going to be like the end of Fight Club. Yeah. All I, over exactly. Again. <laughs> so I want people. Watch it all burn. <laughs> I want people holding hands in Buckingham Palace, looking out a window, watching things burn. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you could just use your TV connections. Oh, yeah. Those Netflix are definitely to make that happen. That I have. That's a power I can, I can absolutely wield. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much to Catherine for joining us. You can read her on Vulture and listen to her podcast, Appointment Television. Um, this was amazing. We really, really appreciate yes. it. Thanks. If you could just co- if you could come out, hung out with us on Monday as we watch the Emmys, that would be great. <laughs> All right. I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. So before we adjourn the Royal Pod, Again, a special thank you to Catherine yeah, for joining so us. And uh, let's go into our highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My high is the Australia trip. I just can't stop thinking about it. I am so excited. Yeah, we have reasons to get through the days. Um, my high is a little story. Will you go on a quick journey with me? Yes. Um, it's a Prince Philip story. Um, again, whenever I discuss him and tell a story that delights me, I do acknowledge that he's an incredibly problematic dude, and he's done and said some terrible things over the years. Um, but the story is funny, so let me have it for a moment. Um, he wandered onto a movie set. So as you guys know, he's retired now, and he doesn't go to any royal events um, anymore. I think the line is, he does what he wants. He does what he wants. Yeah, that was the <laughs> state. Like, I told that story a couple of weeks ago when it was in the news, and it just I loved it so much. And this is very similar. So he was in Windsor, of course, and he accidentally wandered onto a movie set. So he stumbled onto a jewelry heist movie called The King of Thieves, um, which comes out this month and stirs Sir Michael Caine, um, a man whose accent I really want to impersonate, but I won't because I'm not a dude. I feel like dudes always do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so 
the royal drove up in his Range Rover while they were filming at Windsor. He rolled down his car window. He asked what they were doing. And one of the actors said, we're making a film, sir. Um, would you like to meet them? Like naming, when uh, he said the movie has Michael Caine in it, would you like to meet him? And the 97-year-old replied, no. Then he <laughs> rolled his window back up and drove away. <laughs> he does what he wants. He does what he wants. I oh. wish he didn't have like that background with like the Nazis and stuff so we could just have him as an I idol. Know. But instead it's like... I wish he didn't say misogynistic things. Yeah, there's so many negatives, but... But he's so funny. I do respect the doing what you want. I yeah. don't respect the hatred. Don't. No, I really don't. But I look forward to being 97 and giving zero Fs. Um, and speaking of hatred, uh, we have a quick little Markle family update. Uh, Samantha, her half-sister, is in the press because Samantha was talking some S-H-I-T <laughs> about her sister. So and... Okay, this is very insulting, but it's also very clever. She referred to Megan as the Dutch ass. Yeah. So I don't know if it's going to get bleeped, but it's D-U-C-H-A-S-S. So my low is the Dutch ass. Yeah, Samantha Markle be tweeting. Yeah, like I I hate her tweets, but I do think that one's clever. Yeah, apparently her Twitter is private, so I've requested to follow her, and I hope she doesn't like, I mean, I hope she does listen to the podcast so she can hear our scolding. But I hope she doesn't block me just from that alone. I hope she lets me follow her. But she said, yeah, she tweeted this, that, like, I'm so tired of the Dutch ass being so fake with, like, ass in all capitals. (laughs) Like, she's truly 12 years old on AOL Instant Messenger. Like, I hate it, but then I like that. Yeah, so she used that several times. So, ugh, (laughs) So that's Lisa's low. My low is um, Priyanka Chopra and Nick Jonas whom I have deeply complicated feelings about, and I truly might launch a different podcast just called I'm a Priyanka Nick Jonas Truther. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm workshopping that title. But they attended the Ralph Lauren anniversary party this weekend, which honestly looked like the coolest party that's ever existed on mm-hmm. Instagram. And they had a sort of a, I wouldn't call it a photo booth, but like a portrait corner, sort of like a Vanity Fair party. And Priyanka and Nick posed, and they took the pose of... Megan and Harry where he's seated and she's like lounging between his legs like Megan did both in her engagement photos and also again in her wedding photos. Oh yeah, you guys should go back and listen to our episode with Mariah Smith because we went into great detail about why we <laughs> love that picture so much. Yeah, the, the, the old lean into your man's crotch photo. Um, <laughs> so there's nothing wrong I guess with taking the pose. They don't own the, the Sussex pair doesn't own the pose. I just deeply dislike Priyanka and Nick so shade in their general direction well you can drop us an email <laughs> at, <laughs> sorry <laughs> on that note uh, you can drop us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com and ask us any and all questions you may have um, remember to subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts last week we read you a review that was pretty negative and I hope that one <laughs> I hope she's not listening <laughs> Because I think I told her to go listen to Lady Gaga instead. <laughs> but here is a real review um, from San Francisca. That is the username. And we freaking love her because yeah, I'm obsessed great. with this review. She wrote, who the heck is coming here for a historical breakdown of the royal family? Get lost, you boring human. This pod is fun and entertaining. The only downside is that I don't have the same drink in my hand as I listen. As a California girl, the comments about vocal fry are just hilarious to me. I didn't even notice, likely because I have it too. But seriously, if you diss on vocal fry, you're also dissing on Megan because that's totes how she speaks. I bet that totes made you cringe. (laughs) LOL again. But seriously, think about it. They sound like HRH, Duchess of Sussex. 
that was aggressive but do you feel me keep it up ladies i do feel her i love it so much i love when people like fight in my honor yeah i I, it's it's very noble um i i do feel you san francisca and i thank you for your kind words yes thank you you are our best friend other than megan and kate and well caitlin's also my best (laughs) that's the whole crew you're on the list (laughs) so please follow the show on instagram at royally obsessed podcast and join our facebook group royally obsessed you can follow me lisa on Twitter and Instagram at Lisa Raya and read my writing at The Cut. And you can follow me, Caitlin, at HeyKMenz, H-E-Y-K-M-E-N-Z on Twitter and Instagram and read my writing at CaitlinMenza.com. And until next week, God save the pod. I should have said San Francisco considers her lunch table. <laughs> that one is computer. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.